Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top-of-mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Amy Rojic, and I direct our firm Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with Paula Hamrick, BDO National Assurance partner of the SEC Services Group, and Megan Depp, who's our National Assurance Senior Manager, as they provide their observations and guidance around emerging trends and utilizing special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, as they are more commonly referred to. So Paula is our firm's representative on the CAQ's SEC Regulations Committee and chairs the Audit Practices Task Force. And she's her specialty within BDO is on SEC rules and regulations in engaging with our public company clients and engagement teams. Megan has recently joined our National SEC Services Group from a practice office, and she has broad industry practical experience and focuses on SEC reviews of filings for compliance with SEC rules and regs, as well as concentrating on U.S. GAAP compliance. So I am very happy to be joined by both Megan and Paula today. And so happy you could join me. And we're going we're gonna to jump right in here. So to level set for our audience, we're really focused on some of the more intricate accounting and financial reporting considerations that a board member, specifically an audit committee member, should be aware of when contemplating these um, types of transactions. So Megan, perhaps you can describe some of the general terms as to what exactly a SPAC is. Sure, thanks, Amy. We're both happy to join you today to talk about SPACs. And as you touched on, that's a special purpose acquisition company. Um, the SPAC is formed for the purpose of raising proceeds through an IPO, with those proceeds being used to acquire an operating company or a target. And the SPAC generally has a limited timeline to complete that transaction, and that is, it's usually no more than two years. So that's kind of the high-level overview of what a SPAC is. Thank you for that. And so maybe, Paula, if you could build on that and describe in a little more detail the nuances as to how these transactions are being structured. Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the SPAC and the private company target will enter into an, a merger agreement that you know lays out the terms and conditions of the merger. And because the SPAC is a shell company, meaning it has no substantive operations other than to acquire the, the private business, uh, the private target is considered the predecessor to the registrant. And that, that essentially means that the target's financial statements, you know, including the um, historical financial statements, will become those of the public company following the merger. Now, that predecessor determination is fairly straightforward when there's one private target in the transaction. Um, but sometimes the SPAC is acquiring multiple companies uh, at the same time. And so the analysis or determination of which of those companies is the predecessor can be you know, more complicated. Um, the other 
you know, consequence of structuring um, is the determination of the accounting acquirer. In many cases, the, the private target is the accounting acquirer, and the merger simply considered a recapitalization of the private company. While in other cases, the SPAC is the accounting acquirer, which results in business combination or a step up in basis. One of the other things we're starting to see in practice is that more SPAC mergers are structured as upsea transactions. That's that's an umbrella partnership structure, and it's done for tax purposes. But you know, without getting into the weeds here about upseas, the the structure essentially allows the the pass through company, like an LLC private entity, and its owners to maintain the tax benefits of a partnership you know, while enjoying the liquidity of the markets through a holding company that's the issuer of the shares. So there's added complexity to the structure as a result of um, this agreement and the other agreements um, that are negotiated at the same time, uh, like a tax receivable agreement is a common um, you know, sideline agreement in an UPSI structure. Uh, I'd say there's also added complexity to the determination of the accounting acquirer in UPSI transactions. So all in all, there's quite a bit of upfront work that's needed to think through, um, you know, the, the merger from a structuring perspective. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of maybe as clear as mud for some people when they're when they're starting to think about these and the particular accounting nuances that kind of throw you either way in terms of kind of the recapitalization of the private entity versus what you how you would treat it as a business combination. So I think uh, and obviously all the the tax ramifications that you've just out outlined. So I think that's really helpful from a from a kind of 30,000 foot view, but maybe from the board's perspective, what do directors and perhaps audit committees more specifically need to be aware of? And by that, I mean, what are the questions they should be asking both management and clearly advisors that may be needed when contemplating these types of transactions? So I think everything from structural considerations to governance implications to the accounting reporting and valuation. So maybe we kind of put that all together. And if you both could kind of take a shot at chiming in on those those areas, that would be helpful. From a, a structural consideration, I, I won't repeat kind of what Paula just went through, but going back to, you know, that SPAC has a limited timeline. Um, the timeline is very important. So when you're thinking of some of those those items that Paula just touched on is making sure you have the appropriate team and the appropriate advisors in place to meet that timeline um, for all those considerations. And then, you know, kind of going into the the governance implications. I don't know, Paula, did you want to touch on a couple of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, if if we take a step back and just level set from a board and governance perspective, um, the board will be facing very similar implications as if the private company was conducting its own IPO. You know, so following the merger, the board uh, will carry additional liability as a as a the board of a public company. Uh, the audit committee will be providing oversight over the external auditor. Uh, there must be a system of inter- internal controls over financial reporting in place. Uh, the board will need to be providing timely review of financial statements prior to public filings, et cetera. The laundry list extends. Um, you know, I think on the um, ICFR front, I think the board, 
you know, particularly in a SPAC scenario, will want to be asking questions about where the company's at. Um, you know, is it prepared to document its internal controls? Um, these SPAC mergers can happen fairly quickly, and perhaps the company, you know, wasn't otherwise planning to be to become a public company so quickly. So there's there's a lot of you know the ramp is um, can can be steep uh, for for the private companies in these situations. You know, and and on that note, some of the um, exchanges have different listing requirements uh, that might come into play. So for example, the New York Stock Exchange requires an internal audit function, which obviously requires a lot of advanced planning. So in in addition to the slew of other governance considerations or requirements that are imposed by the exchanges. Um, so all of that needs to be thought of and, and dealt with in a, in a you know fairly compressed time frame. You know, separately on the notion that the transaction is like the private company's IPO, I think that the board will want to evaluate the pros and the cons of a SPAC deal versus a traditional IPO. You know, there's always a chance that the SPAC shareholders vote against the acquisition and redeem their shares or not invest in the private company. And all of that becomes public information. So because of these risks, I think, you know, a board will want to carefully evaluate or consider the SPAC sponsors, uh, management and other directors that will be joining the private company's leadership following the merger. you know, thinking through are the board's views aligned with those of the SPAC's views, um, as they'll at least have some influence on, you know, the post-merger entity's direction and decisions. You know, additionally, without the involvement of an underwriter um, in the transaction, the board will want to have a good understanding of the valuation of the private company by the SPAC. You know, what are what are the factors impacting that valuation? Are the factors that the board wants to introduce, um, you know, making sure that um, everything is well understood and on paper there um, in connection with the deal? You know, moreover, I guess more at an administrative level, does the private company have the information it needs to get this SPAC deal going? Um, you know, there's does does it have the necessary financial statements? Um you know, in order for that SPAC to make its first filing. So Megan, maybe I'll uh, let you walk us through, you know, some of the key accounting and reporting uh, considerations that you need for that first filing. Right, so you kind of touched on it with the the financial statements, Paula, and, you know, how many years of audited financial statements are going to be required for that private up operating company target? And, you know, rule of thumb, it's generally three years. There are certain criteria where it can be two years, and one of those being, you know, if the private operating company target is a smaller reporting company. Um, Aside from the number of years of audited financials, there's also the fact that the financial statements of that private opco will need to be in accordance with PCAOB standards. So we're private company alternatives previously applied by that operating company, those would need to be unwound. There'd also be the consideration of um, the adoption date of new accounting standards. And there's also additional disclosures that are required for a public company, some of those being segments, uh, there's earnings per share, there's equity instruments and consideration of whether or not those need to be presented as temporary or mezzanine equity for 
business combinations under GAAP, there are additional disclosures required for public companies um, rather than you know just the disclosures for private companies. And not to get too, too into the details, but outside of GAAP, there is Rule 305 of Reg Regulation SX, which requires certain financial statements for a significant acquisition. So if that private operating company target had acquired a company that would be considered significant, those financial statements may also need to be included in the filing. They would need to be audited as well. So that's just another consideration of something that could you know, move that timeline or you know, increase that timeline. As far yeah. as the... Sorry, go ahead. Megan, I was just, I was just, if you don't mind me asking, one of the things you stated earlier about timeline, can you give us just a kind of a, an overview of what that, what's the duration of that timeline? Because obviously there's a lot of kind of forethought that needs to go in this. And today we're focused on the financial reporting and accounting attributes of these transactions. But what does that timeline really look like from, from your stance? So the timeline, you know, the SPAC is formed and in the, the agreement of the SPAC, it'll have a set timeline of when it needs to acquire that company, that that target. It's generally up to two years. It can be shorter. Um, and the investors can also vote to extend the timeline if that SPAC doesn't identify a target within that stated timeline. It can be extended, but it's generally no more than two years initially. Thank you. Yeah, and as it as it relates to the just the transaction with the private company, you know, as Megan articulated, everything you need to think about for the financial statements, uh, the SPAC will file a, a merger proxy um, that inevitably gets reviewed by the SEC staff. And so the first step is to get that merger proxy filed. It takes approximately 30 days for the SEC staff to review to review the filing. Uh, you know, the companies then work together to clear the SEC staff's comments, file an amendment that's also subject to staff review. Um, you know, so the, the timing between when you get that first filing uh, done and the ultimate close of the merger, that can take several months. Uh, sometimes I've seen it in three months, sometimes it can be longer and it can be impacted by the volume of SEC comments, just like the IPO scenario or other factors. Maybe, maybe they're negotiating the, the merger agreement, you know, during this process, and that can impact the time frame too. No, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. Sorry. So I, I think I jumped in as you were you were kind of finalizing your thoughts, Megan. So I'll I'll kick it back to you. Yep, no worries. Um, the other item to consider is for that private company, the auditor needs to be independent under both SEC and PCOB independence rules, and that can at times lead to a change in auditor. Um, there's also the pro forma, so Paula was talking about the registration or the proxy statement to be filed, and within that filing, there will be pro forma financial statements. Um, and some of the considerations we talked about before is who's the accounting acquirer. So knowing who the accounting acquirer is, because that will impact how you present your pro formas. And not only that, but there is different scenarios that can play out in the transaction where those investors in the SPAC could redeem their shares. So you generally have two scenarios in your pro forma where you have the no redemption and max redemption scenarios. And that can get complicated because sometimes that will impact who the accounting acquirer is. And so you may 
have a multiple scenarios with who the accounting acquirer is. And then once the transaction actually closes, there's what's the super 8K will be due within four days. And that's a that's a tight timeline. There's no relief for that four days. Um, it will look that super 8K is going to look similar to the proxy or the registration statement that's filed. Um, the pro formas will change because you'll you'll have actual results of the transaction versus the potential scenarios. And the other consideration is going to be the staleness or the due dates of the financials. So depending on when the transaction actually closes, there may be a need to include more current financial statements. And just one last item I'll touch on quickly is internal controls. You know, once the transaction closes, what's the, the filer status of the registrant and you know will management need to report on internal controls and will the auditor need to report on internal controls so just thinking of that going forward thank you so I, I think hearing all of this maybe you can explain why there appears to be so much current interest in these as alternatives to the ipo market yep so it is it can be a trend or an attractive alternative based on the market conditions you know you don't need to go out and find an underwriter or legal counsel there's not that significant on-ramp to going public to the ultimate ipo like there would be in a traditional ipo um, there's no roadshow. there's no marketing um you know the the merger transaction can be pretty quick to close so that that private operating company be, can become a public company fairly quickly um but I think that also gets us into the con where the, the transaction moves quickly and there is a lot that is required of that private company that wasn't previously required. So that can take a significant amount of time and it can take management's time and management may be diverted from kind of the day-to-day -day operations of the company. Um, so that's, you know, the pro and the con is the, the timeline. Got it. I think maybe Paula, if you were to kind of think about all of the uncertainty that's existing right now, and, and we're recording this to be to be full disclosure, it, just just after the U.S. election. So by the time <clears throat> this is released, a lot's going to happen in the next few weeks. Just knowing where we're sitting today, so maybe you can kind of talk about the the landscape of SPACs and, and just how that you know it playing out various scenarios, what that may mean in terms of the shorter term and the longer term. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of SPAC deals in process right now. Um, I, I think that there are still a lot of SPACs out there looking for their private target. And similarly, you know, even talking with clients in our, our private company practice, there are a lot of private companies out there seeking uh, to go public via SPAC transactions. Um, you know, I think for the ones that are, you know, in process, the sellers remain motivated um, to get the deal done and provide the liquidity. Uh, Megan talked a lot about the SPACs, you know, um, life, life is, you know, 18 to 24 months generally. And so those SPACs are still out there. So from a short term perspective, I, you know, it, it's hard to see how the election would cause this you know, like a grounding halt to the to the market. On the other hand, I think that the long term is much more uncertain. You know, the the elections outcome and particularly the extension of the pandemic and its effects 
on the economy going forward, uh, they do. They create a lot of uncertainty. So I would say that my crystal ball, you know, as it relates to SPAC transactions, you know, next year and and beyond is is much more hazy. Um, not not real sure <laughs> uh, where things will land. No, fair enough. I I, I know I, I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but obviously this has a lot of corporate directors and management teams really struggling as to, you know, what it, what is the trend? What what should I be thinking of when I'm contemplating, you know, these types of transactions? So, Megan, maybe in the the final go round here, if you could maybe share with our listeners today some further resources for reference because obviously this is a very complex area and I know we we have some good things out there and there's some other things out there that they may want to consider. Yes, we, we have a BDO knows three parts back series, which is available on BDO.com. And Amy, I think it's also going to be linked in this podcast. That's right. We also have our um, accounting and reporting advisory services team, which is led by Mike Stevenson. So those are some great resources. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, in wrapping this up and, and talking about some of the things you shared with us today. And I want to thank you both because you you bring the technical aspects that I think often kind of get muddied in the in the the overall excitement about performing these transactions. So from a board and an audit committee perspective, I think it's really helpful to understand that. Um, it's also really helpful to know that there are support outside of this for, for everyone involved. And I think from a from a of the iceberg, I, I would love to see us do more conversations around SPAC transactions and bring in differing perspectives from board members themselves that have gone through this and from the legal community as well. So stay tuned. And I want to thank both Paula and Megan for being with me here today. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash bdo knows governance.